just want to say Merry Christmas, Journey, and just want to let you know from the bottom of my heart that we look forward to these gatherings together. And I just want you to know as well that you've been prayed for. Many people have prayed for you, and our heart's desire is not that you would just kind of come in and go out and enjoy some songs and hear a message, but that you would have an actual encounter, that you would have an encounter with Jesus, because around here we believe that Jesus changes everything, and he is worth everything for us. We want to give all of our lives to him, so we're praying that you would have an encounter with the living God. Matthew, as he begins the Christmas story, he actually starts out with a genealogy, and a genealogy is just simply the telling of ancestry. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. You've seen those before if you've read your Bible, the beginning of Matthew, but oftentimes what we do is we can tend to just kind of gloss over that a little bit, or maybe just skip it all together, because uh, we want to get to the good stuff, the, the story of the birth of Jesus, because oftentimes in, in our culture, we don't think a lot about genealogies, but that was not true in the Old Testament times. They were very, very important. And I was thinking a little bit about my own genealogy, and I, I wanna let you know up front, uh, I am not kidding uh, when I tell you this. My dad, he is the oldest of 10 kids. His name is Clarence. Uh, he had a father, and his, of course, and his name was Joseph. He had a mother, and her name was Mary. And the youngest son was born on December 25th. And you know it, they did it. They named him Richard. <laughs> My Uncle Dick. In the genealogy that Matthew writes, the reason that I'm stepping into this is because there's some things this last January, as we started our reading plan, Matthew chapter one, as I started reading this, there's some things that just grabbed my attention as I started to look at it just a little bit closer. One of the things that would have really grabbed the attention of a first century person reading this was that there's actually, in Matthew's account, there are women mentioned in the genealogies. Oftentimes, in a patriarchal culture, it was just the head of households that were listed in genealogies, but five times he mentions women. But here's the biggest part. The five women that Matthew chooses to mention in this genealogy, on some level and to some degree, had scandal around their life. And so the question that we've gotta ask is, why would Matthew be talking about scandalous things in this genealogy? I believe there's at least two questions that Matthew wants us to have crystal clear when we get through the genealogy. One, he wants us to know who did Jesus come from but probably even more important to us today is we wanna be able to answer the question, who did Jesus come for? Who did Jesus come for? The first woman that Matthew mentions in his genealogy is Tamar. Matthew chapter one, verse three. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now this story of Tamar comes all the way back from the book of Genesis, chapter 38. And there's probably only one detail that I need to give you that would tip you off that this was scandalous. And the detail is this. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. Yeah, do the math. Not cool in any culture. Here's the backstory. Tamar was originally married 
to one of Judah's sons. He dies. She's widowed. In that culture, to take care of her and to continue the family name, the next oldest son would take in this wife to build a family with her to carry on the family name. Well, the next son in line, he doesn't want to do that. He says, "Uh uh-uh, I want a bigger inheritance for me. So he refuses to take Tamar as his wife and to grow a family with her. Tamar is abandoned and rejected. Then this, that husband or that man died. And so the next in line was another brother that was much, much younger. So Tamar waits and waits for him. But Judah says, no, he was reluctant. He didn't want to give a son to Tamar because he's looking at her life and he's thinking, somehow I believe that maybe she might even be cursed by God. Tamar continues to be abandoned and rejected. So she decides, I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. So she decides what she's gonna do is she's gonna be by the roadway where she knows Judah's gonna pass and she's gonna dress up as, a, I will just say, a lady of the evening. I really, and these scandalous stories that I'm gonna share with you, and you've gotta change the language because I know we've got kids around here. That's how scandalous they are. But she dresses up as a lady of the evening Judah propositions her as a result of their liaison, children, Perez and Zerah. One of those children, Perez, in the kingly line of King David and in the kingly line of King Jesus. Now this story from Genesis 38, this is not gonna be one of the stories that are in the kids' storybook Bible that you're gonna be reading to your kids at night. It is scandalous even to us today, but especially to them at that time. Scandal in the history of Jesus. The second woman that's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, Rahab, verse five. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And here's where Rahab comes on the scene. As the Israelites are gonna cross the Jordan River into their promised land to take the land from the Canaanites, They send spies into the land. And Rahab, she's heard about Yahweh. She's heard some things about. And when she hears about the spies coming, she risks her life to cover up the fact that they're there. She houses them from her own government, risks her own life. And of course, in and around the nation of Israel, immediately she becomes a hero. They welcome her in. Why was it that she did that? She had heard about the stories of Yahweh and the incredible miracles that he had done to deliver them from Egypt. Heard about the incredible miracles in and around the wilderness. And she said, I believe. I believe in Yahweh. And so they welcomed her in as part of their nation, as part of their family. But there's a little detail about Rahab. It's her occupation. She was one that worked in the red light district. And we we don't know why. We don't know all of her backstory, but it wasn't uncommon in those days. If you were widowed and you didn't have a family, for some women, that was the only way, the only way that you could to take care of yourself and to provide for yourself. God, in the lineage of Jesus, decides that this woman that had that profession is gonna be in the kingly line of Jesus. She becomes family. The third person that Ruth 
that is mentioned in the genealogy is Ruth. Matthew chapter one, verse five. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth doesn't have a sordid backstory like the first two, but there, if a Jewish person read her name, there would be something in them that would might kind of raise their hackles a little bit. Why would her appearance in the genealogy of Jesus be offensive? It was her ethnicity. You see, Ruth, she was a Moabite. And these were the, the enemies of the nation of Israel. When Israel came into the promised land, these were the people that didn't want to have anything to do with Yah. They didn't want to help the nation of Israel in any way. These were the people that were never allowed to enter into the worship gathering of the nation of Israel. They had a history and kind of a reputation for immorality and idolatry. Israelites were always stay away. It would be like if the Israelites were the bobcat nation, these were the grizzlies right there. Stay away. But the outsider became the insider. Ruth was welcomed into the family of Israel. The enemy, the sworn enemy, became a friend. Scandalous in the genealogy of Jesus. The next person that's mentioned, although she isn't even mentioned by name, is Bathsheba. Matthew chapter one, verse six. And Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Even if you haven't been around the Bible much of your life, Bathsheba might be a name that even when you hear it, you kind of associate it with adultery. And, and I can't prove this. I don't know why Matthew refers to her just as Uriah's wife and doesn't say his name, but I just kind of wonder if it was such a dark stain on the nation of Israel, this stain of King David, that he couldn't even bring himself to say the name. And you know the story. You've probably heard it. King David, out on the roof of his palace, looking down, sees Bathsheba. She's beautiful, has her summoned to him. The powerful summoning the powerless, exploited. David brings her up. The result of their time together, a child, a pregnancy. And David does everything he can to cover this up because he knows this is not good. This is a black eye on the nation of Israel and a black eye on me as the leader of Israel. He does everything he can to cover it up, even going to the extent of having Uriah killed and takes Bathsheba as his wife so that it at least would appear to people that the child was his. Scandalous. Scandalous in the life of David, but it's scandalous in the life, in the line of King Jesus as well. The last woman mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus is Mary. Matthew chapter one, verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, I know on Christmas, you're just saying, don't mess with Mary. Don't talk about scandals with Mary. There's no, Mary didn't do anything wrong. She didn't do anything scandalous. But her life and her reputation was surrounded by scandal because she was an unwed, pregnant woman. And there were just rumors surrounding that. The story was, you just heard the story. 
her baby conceived by the Holy Spirit, but who was gonna buy that? Even as Jesus was being raised, there were probably always whispers, wonderings. Was that really true? We look at this genealogy, we look at these stories, and we just gotta come to the conclusion, man, this is one crooked family tree, is it not? And this is how Matthew chooses to start the Christmas story. But this is the family tree that God chose, that the incarnate son of God would step in to human history. But we've gotta ask the question, why? Matthew, why? Why would you go to so much intentionality to almost seemingly try to dig up dirt in the history of Jesus, in the genealogy of Jesus? There are so many high points, Matthew. Why couldn't you talk about them? Why couldn't you emphasize those? Why would you choose to do it this way? Because Jesus, Matthew, is gonna come into this world to pay the penalty for sin. He's gonna be the savior of the world and their sin, and you seem to be highlighting sin. Matthew, is this a mistake? Is this a mistake, friends? Or is this the message? Is this the message of Christmas? Is this the message of the genealogy? That Jesus' ancestors were humans with all the foibles and brokenness that people have is the message that God can work through anyone to bring his salvation to this world. God can use anyone, and God is willing to use everyone. So what Matthew wants us to understand, Jesus came from every kind of person so that we would know that Jesus came for every kind of person, for me, for you, for everyone. That's the hope that we have on this Christmas day. Because we can read those stories and shake our head, but we know we are not so different as any one of them. Every one of us has a past. Every one of us has some kind of a backstory that maybe we're not very proud of. The only difference is, is that their backstory was written on the pages of the bestseller in all of human history. How challenging is that? How would you feel if your darkest moments, your darkest thoughts, your darkest scandals were out in public display for everyone to see? We'd shudder, wouldn't we? I mean, I know what it's like to be a pastor with a past. I know what it's like to have conversations with people that knew me back in that world, that know the stories, that know my backstory, and I run into them much later in life And it just seems like the question always comes up. So tell me, Bob, what do you do? I'm a pastor. You see their head always kind of turns a little bit. You see their wheels are turning, and I just kind of imagine there's this bubble that goes up above their head, and in that bubble is, they'll let anybody be a pastor. (laughs) And you know what? I believe that that's true. When I used to have those kind of interactions, it used to always just create so much guilt and shame for where my life had been. But I'll tell you what it does today. It moves me to my knees with great gratitude. God, thank you that your grace is big enough 
to cover the scandals of a pastor with a past. Thank you, God, that you are willing to cover the sin of everyone. Friends, that's the message that Matthew wants us to understand. We need to understand where Jesus, who he came from, so that we understand who he came for, and that's us. It's everyone. Everyone is who he came for. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that lived out. He never ran into people that he just said, man, you've gone too far. Your life is too broken. He broke every kind of barrier to move to every kind of person. Gender barriers, ethnic barriers. He didn't care about people's past. He didn't care about their prominence. He didn't care about their pedigree. He came for everyone. And sometimes the most broken were the most close to him. But the question I want us to ask is, where are you? What is your story? What is your backstory? What is the story that you want? And I've just gotta admit that Christmas season, I love it, but, but it's kinda strange in some ways. I mean, it is, it is a time of joy. I will say, we sang about that. The kids sang about that, and it's true. There's so many things to be joyful about in this season as family gets together. I mean, there are, there are kids right now that they're not even gonna sleep tonight because they're so excited to open gifts, and those gifts will be opened. Everybody's smiling. I love smiling. Smiling's my favorite. Love watching movies. And yet at the same time, for so many of us, this is the hardest time of year to try to bury our struggles, to try to ignore our problems, to try to put to rest the regrets of our past. Yeah, we might be smiling on the outside, but so many of us are breaking on the inside because we're trying to figure out, how do I cope? How do I cope with things that it just doesn't seem like I have the power to cope with? That's the message of Christmas. Jesus wants us to understand, I get you. You need to understand where I came from and you need to understand who I came for and I came for you. Jesus didn't just come for people that have it all together. He came for people that are dysfunctional and messed up, that have lots and lots of problems. People that have driven their lives hard and found themselves driving into a dead end. He even comes for people that maybe they've just won the lottery in life. Everything seems to be going well, and yet they get to that place where they're kind of living out the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's who Jesus came for. He wants to give us a new story. He wants to give us a new hope from our past. But Jesus makes it really clear there's just a couple of qualifications, a couple of prerequisites to enter into that life with him. One is that you just have to know that you have problems. For most of us, that's not very hard. We need to know that we have problems. We need to know that we have sin. And we need to know that we can't fix them on our own. We don't have the power in and of ourselves to fix our own problems. This is what the Bible calls humility. 
When we approach Jesus, we need to come with him with great humility. The most dangerous place for anybody in this room or watching online to be is in a place where you just feel like, I don't need you, God. I got this. I'll take care of me. You take care of you. I got me. It's the most dangerous place to be. We need to come to a place of humility. And secondly, we need to come to a place of faith. Faith, another word for that is trust. That we would trust that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that what he did for us will accomplish what he said it would and that he can transform us from the inside out. Come to him in faith and then come to him and ask him. Simply ask him to do it. One of the other gospel writers, John, as he was talking about his story of Jesus entering this world, he used this term, receiving Jesus. Here's how John described it. John chapter one, verse 11. He said, he came to that, he meaning Jesus, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, this is the best part, yet to all, everyone who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receiving Christ means that we get to come in and be part of that crooked family tree under Jesus. Our crooked life gets to be part of it. Children of God. He continues, children born not of natural descent nor of human decisions or a hus- human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus wants to bring us a new family, a new life, a new hope. But I want it to be really, really clear. What is it that we're actually receiving? What is it that John wants us to understand that we're receiving? One is that we need to understand that we are receiving Jesus' death payment in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. We talk about the cross a lot. What was Jesus doing? He was paying the debt for sin that we owed in our place. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. We're receiving that payment on our behalf. A second thing that we're receiving is we are receiving Jesus as our king. I mean, we we talk about Jesus coming in a manger, and that's cute and beautiful, But make no mistake, he came as a king, a reigning king. It is a king that we are to bow our knee to. We surrender our heart to him. We surrender our life to him. He's not just our buddy. He is our king and our Lord, and everything belongs to him in our life. That's what we receive. And with that, we receive a new family and a new start and a new hope, all of that. In just a moment, we're gonna share some stories of people that they've done that, they've received Jesus. And here's what I wanna say as we sit and watch these together. Not every story is the same. In fact, every story is different. I love how we talk about this series. Jesus came for everyone But see the one. He came for every one. He sees you. He knows you. 
He knows your life, he knows your backstory, and he says, I don't care what kind of scandals are in it. There are scandals in my history of my lineage as well. My blood can cover your life. He came for everyone. Let's listen to these stories together. My name is Jeff Hoffman, and I have lived in Bozeman for a little over 10 years now. I remember early on when we lived in Northwest Montana, uh, occasionally going to Sunday school, the youth groups, but I was just kind of going through the motions and participating in it. If someone asked me if I believed in Jesus, I would have told them yes. Um, but I, I never fully uh, had surrendered my life to him. Uh, and things just weren't uh, what I thought they would be, you know, all through college and culture telling me that if you have money or if you have free time and resources to do what you want, you'll be fulfilled. And I started to find that over time, but I was still extremely uh, unhappy. My relationships were kind of in shambles. I was very selfish as a person, uh, had a lot of ambition, but just kind of burned a lot of relationships. I showed up at Journey Church and just heard at the time Bob preaching on the Sermon on the Mount and how that kind of turned the world upside down. And I remember wrestling through a few of those messages and just how uh, the Jesus I had grown up thinking I knew I really didn't truly know. You know, who is Jesus? Uh, who does he say he is and who do I think he is? It's not about how good I am. It's not about the religious ideas of me doing more or trying more. Uh, it's more of what Jesus has done for me uh, and just surrendering my life to that. That truly hit home. I can happily say I have a lot more joy in life. I no longer look for fulfillment in my career or any material possessions, uh, anything that money can buy me. My relationships are, are better. I have deep, meaningful friendships. Uh, if I'm going through something hard or celebrating something great, I, I do have friends that can kind of come around me and celebrate those or pray for me or help me walk this life, you know, in community and with others because it is not easy. Oh 
of heaven, born low to save me. My name is Megan Hunt. I am 22 years old. Many Christians talk about a single conversion moment where their lives were changed forever. That wasn't the case for me. For me, my conversion came slowly and with a power that still humbles me daily. I have fallen under all the traps of comparison and of placing my identity in the wrong things. I often would find myself seeking attention, worth, and acceptance in anything but Jesus. This truly did leave me feeling unsatisfied, empty, and confused. I knew that something had to change and God showed me just what I needed. I started diving deep into God's word every single day and I just started noticing him and everything around me. I would notice him in the mountains and I notice him in the sunsets and in the clouds. I'm constantly reminded of the glory and the splendor of our King in heaven. The moments where I feel his presence wash over me are just so special to me. Jesus laid down his life for us. He went to the cross with each and every one of us specifically on his mind, knowing that one day we would each need his saving grace. Because of Jesus Christ, we have been set free. I know that whatever life throws at me, whether I'm on a mountain or I'm deep in my darkest of valleys, that I will praise him. God's love is always faithful and it's never ending. He never stops pursuing us even when we may stop pursuing him. One day, we are going to be face to face with Jesus. That thought just really puts this world and this life into perspective. Therefore, I know that I will never stop seeking his kingdom and I will never stop glorifying his name. Gracious Redeemer, you looked upon me. Long before Eden, you knew my great need. Woven through history, a rich crimson thread. Your plan salvation in this manger bed. Oh, what a wonder. How My name is Steven, I'm 38, I'm a Montana native, I've been in the Gallatin Valley for 20 years. Growing up, we attended church regularly on Sundays, and I always believed in God, but religion as a kid just wasn't my thing. I never understood what it actually meant to experience God's love. As years went on, there were plenty of trials that tested my faith, um, but I wasn't ready to surrender. At the age of 27, I ran into a pretty tough time in life and a friend of mine turned me on to Caleb radio station. Soon thereafter, I found Journey Church and things started to shift in me. I could feel it. I could feel the weight of my past sins be lifted. I could feel that I was actually being taken care of. Years went on and things started to fall into place. 
but my self-will started playing more of a role in my life. I was married with four little girls, growing a business and building my own home, and I was faced with a level of stress that I'd never experienced. And instead of turning to God, I turned to a bottle. Not only were my sins from my past uncovered, but I was in the midst of living a life of betrayal, not only to myself, but to those closest to me. But it still wasn't enough. My road of destruction led to me losing everything. My home, my marriage, the respect to my children. I was on a fast downhill spiral and it nearly took my life. It was then and there at my rock bottom that I accepted Jesus back in my heart. I was ready to give up. I was finally ready to give it up. I was finally ready to give up. <laughs> the road then became smoother, but I still had a lot of work to do. Getting my self-will out of the way was a tough task, but God was always there. Since then, I've been able to meet some amazing people who've not only walked the same path as me, but understand my way to my faith. Got sober, made my peace, and truly allowed myself to be love again. Let's stand and worship in response to these testimonies, and let's sing out this next part together.
Jesus, you are the light of the world. And Jesus, we just want to thank you right now that you came for everyone. Thank you that you came for us. We want to worship you tonight. Jesus, you are our Savior. Jesus, you are our King. Jesus, you are everything to us. And we pray in your powerful and resurrected name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.